We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, we're alive. We still exist. We still pod. We're still a podcast. We're podcasting right now. Don't worry, people. We know. Took some time off. To the season ended. We were going pretty hard there on playback, Tim. You especially. Every night, playback stream. Like two, uh, two plus hours. <laughs> so... I needed a break. I just finished up my school, but we're back. We're here, Tim. We're going to talk about the Lakers um, season here today. I look a little bit forward, but how are you today, man? I'm doing well. I'm in a good headspace. Uh, like you said, we were doing a lot. So just taking a little bit of time, relax, no basketball, you know, keep an eye on the finals, but uh, not having to podcast, break down what, you know, Breakdown film, do YouTube videos, podcasts, stuff in Discord all the time, bonus pods. Uh, it was just a lot. So wanted to just take a step back. And now we can, I think, approach, you know, all right. So well, what happened? What did we actually learn? What do we go, where do we go from here with uh, from a from a state of more calmness? Uh so I'm, that's what I'm, I guess I'm hoping to, to be able to get to, but it, it, good talking to you today. I know we've been talking for like yeah three hours or so, two and a half yeah. hours, and now we're just hitting record, but it's, it's good, uh, reconnecting and, uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited, man. I obviously not the way you want to finish the season, but I think there are some good things. This, this season was successful yes. by how I think just about anybody, like if you tell, told us any, any day pre-trades or even post-trades, Hey, if you could reach the Western conference finals and lose to the team that it's looking like may very well end up being the the champ. Mm-hmm. Is that a good season or is that a bad season? And earlier in the year, I think we said the Western conference final was the ceiling for the team. Mm-hmm. And then it raised to, Hey, this could be a championship contender as things are getting into shape. But some individual players underperformed. Uh, coaching wasn't, you know, batting a thousand. Is you know, you're never going to. But there, there were some missed opportunities. But I think the better team won, and I'm a little bit more at peace with that. Yeah, I, I think I kind of felt that after, especially after Game Three. You know, because sometimes, you know, the better team will lose a single game. You know, that happens plenty. Sometimes a better team will lose two, three games in a series. Very rarely does the better team lose the whole series. I felt the Lakers were closer than 4-0 sweep. It didn't, I don't think it was sweep levels, but I agree that it, you know, Denver was was clearly better. And and especially mm-hmm. at that time and in snapshot of where those players were at, LeBron's clearly hampered, you know. Um, AD was getting banged up there toward the end. 
not excuses. They won eight games. They were eight wins away from the championship, which is way fewer games away than I thought they would have gotten. Yeah, no, it was they they gave it a good run. I'm I guess proud of of what the team did, the the players, the coaches, everybody uh, gave it a real good shot. As you said, it was you know it was a sweep, and I don't want this to come off as you know oh Tim's trying to say oh actually we won or anything like that. But moral like, victories. Uh, yeah, no, I, but in game you had you had a chance. This was this yeah. was a close sweep as far as you know the the point differential. 24 points. You lost by 24 points over the four games. That's the fourth closest sweep ever. And so it wasn't like Ellie got blown out for four games. And mm -hmm. we should be looking at this team and saying, this is just as a product, as a team concept, this is broken and we need to start over. That's not my takeaway because they were competitive with the, the best team in the, in the NBA. LA shot nine points below their expected scoring volume from a shot making standpoint. So, you know, a little underperformance. Uh, Denver overshot their expected scoring by 19 points on their mm -hmm. shots. So there's 28 points right there. You lost the series by 24 points. It was LA played them pretty tight. And we saw that. It wasn't just, you know, at the end of the game, the score was close. And that was kind of how it was for game one. But for game two, three, and four, LA was winning for good portions of the game. In game two, things fell apart in the fourth quarter, but they had a 64% chance to win at halftime, 62% chance to win to start the fourth, according to Unpredictable, which is the best live game model that's available publicly in terms of how accurate it ends up being. Game three, the Lakers had a 46% chance to win at halftime, so around 50-50, and a 53% chance to win with like 7.30 left in the fourth quarter. And then again, things fell apart. Fourth uh, game four, LA, 88% chance to win at halftime. Things were looking good, dude. Uh, the game was tied with a minute 13 left. Things fell apart leading to that point and then afterwards. So <sighs> they were competitive games. It stinks. It stings to me more knowing that, you know, you're a tweak or two away from being able to win a couple of these. I think we could have, you know, try things over again. We could see LA lose in six instead of four, but winning uh, to win, you needed certain guys to play better than they played. And for some of them, you know, for this individual series, they weren't playing well. For others, it's, you know, D'Angelo Russell hasn't been, his pull-up three-point shooting absolutely was not good with the Lakers, had been with Minnesota, had been in pretty much every other stop he's had as an NBA player. He just, that dynamic pull-up three-point shooter, not there. Uh, Mo Bamba brought him in, didn't get to see him really contribute. Jared Vanderbilt, we saw series by series him be exploited more and more on offense, and that hurt the team. And and he is a valuable player, and he's a player that can that can be a positive contributor. But at that point in the series, it was just really really tough to be able to justify the the minutes he was getting, and we saw his minute minute number go down. Malik Beasley never shot as well as we as he had shot. It's not just, oh, well, he actually never was really a good shooter. No, he was a pretty good shooter. Didn't shoot well as a Laker. So there were a number of those where when we sit here and now, we're like, all right, well, what do we do to fix this team? What do we look to add? Some of the skill sets you'd be looking to add, I think the team tried to add and, and it didn't quite pan out. But credit to Denver, again, they did well. But I think from a, like, how far off are we standpoint, I'm... I'm at a spot where I'm okay if the team kind of tries to run it back and then make some tweaks around the margins. Well, that's going to be a big statement to unpack because around the margins could mean a lot of things uh, depending on what you view as the core. But yeah, Tim, today we want to kind of try to unpack the series, the season in a way that hopefully colors the next season. So what, what was the secret sauce about this Lakers playoff run? They beat the defending champions. Right. Mm -hmm. They beat the defending champions, which alone is not nothing. Um, and they they beat them fairly handily. Right. They 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 took care of business against the Warriors. Um, so what worked for this team? What was the secret sauce that helped? Right. So Austin Reeves taking a step 
as a playmaker, putting spacing around LeBron in the starting lineup with D'Angelo, you know, getting ejecting non-spacers like Patrick Beverly. And God, I just reminded myself he was on this fucking team. Uh, that's the season we just experienced, folks. Earlier in the season, we're watching Patrick Beverly, Lonnie Walker lineups and like, uh, you know, Dennis Schroeder getting in there. So I, I think a big thing was just having that guard shooting, right? Even though it didn't, you know, he didn't shoot as well as he had in the other stops, he still affected the court geometry more than those other guys were. And mm-hmm. he was able to, you know, create plays with his passing. And D'Angelo is a tough one, man, because it, you can't lose a guy like that for nothing. But I also am, I still have concerns about his long-term fit with LeBron and AD in the short term. I guess short long term, if that makes sense. Um yeah. So I don't know, man. He's, he's a tricky player, but in theory, a and again, this is a, he he played how he played. I'm a, so I'm a Mets fan as well. And I've seen guys come to the Mets mid-season under the bright lights, big stage, can't handle it. And then they stick around and for the next season with a full off season, try it over, start from game one. You have more time to go through your ups and your downs and, and, and you know, get back to where you need to be. And they're able to perform well. But just joining in the moment, it's like, all right, you got 20 games left. You can't play poorly. If you go through any sort of a slump, you were bad because that's how small the sample is. And I think we saw for a lot of these guys that were traded over, like, the first impressions were kind of the only impressions almost where we didn't have the time to see. Like there were stretches of games where LeBron played poorly, AD played poorly, and then they'd have stretches of games where they were like some of the best players in the world. And over the course of the year, that's how you get to the average. And with these guys, we missed most of their season, saw just a chunk of their season. And I don't want to react too much off of that small chunk versus what their full year was and what the prior years were. And that's where a guy like D'Lo, who, if he is who he has been, where he can be that pull-up three-point guy, that's a great fit with AD to me. That's like, I want those guys that can pull the defense out of drop coverage so that AD as a role man is a huge threat. And we saw that be really effective for quite a long time. Even when D'Lo wasn't hitting his threes, the gravity he was able to produce. And when we look at uh, B-Ball Index metric for for off-ball gravity, on-ball gravity, D'Lo was one of the, the Lakers' top guys. He was their top guy in off-ball gravity, just with his three-point shooting, his ability to stretch the floor there. Defenses played him like he was a really good shooter, even though the shots weren't falling for him. Um, that was useful, and that was helpful. It wasn't every game. It wasn't every you know play where the shots went in, but we did see those little stretches of time where his pull-up threes did go in, and it was like, oh, boy, like this is what we need. This is exactly what we're looking for. And like as a playmaker, he's not the best you'll find. There are other better point guard playmakers. I think on a LeBron team, you don't mind as much. And his ability to play off ball, just like with Reeves, the, the fact that either of them could be on ball or off ball was, was really valuable. But I'm worried about, I don't want the team to sell low on D'Lo or just let him walk for nothing because he is a valuable player. If you can retain him and give him that full year chance to work through the kinks, have the playbook that the team builds be around their that roster rather than being mostly built around a roster that isn't what you're finishing the season with. I think we could see the same group of players given the full opportunity to have their highs and their lows do well. Cause like a D low pull up three point shooting 47%, 43% for Minnesota this year, 40, 37% for Minnesota last year, 39% for Minnesota the prior year, really good numbers. He shot five for 30 for the Lakers, small sample, 17%. It will be better. It can't be worse than this. And I think if he got that full opportunity, unless there's, I don't know, voodoo magic of shooters can't shoot in LA, like, I I, I just, I want to give him another shot because he should yeah. be able to fit well. Now, defensively, he's weaker. And, you know, that can be problematic. But offensively, I think a decent playmaking, strong shooting, strong pick and roll on ball guy should fit really well with LeBron and AD. It's a tricky kind of conundrum you're in because, okay, here's the question. Is he a 16 game player? Mm. Mm. Not as a number one option, not as a number two option. No. Is he a 16 game player at any option? I am skeptical about that. However, however, 
I think he is an 82 game player. And I think what he provides for the Lakers in those 82 games, they cannot replicate and they would not be able to find their best maximum success in the 16 games without, without getting to a good place. I think we saw the struggle of, you know, being, being a lower seed play in having that just very brutal schedule uh, there toward the end of the playoffs if you're able to be a one seed, play a, a worse team, a two seed, three seed, things just get easier on your path to to the championship. And mm-hmm. I don't know if Delo's going to be the guy that's going to help you win the 16, but I, I, I'm not willing to say he isn't. And I think for that reason, it's worth it's worth running it back with with Delo. I do, and I, I'm still yeah. torn on that. I think the role is very important. I think if he's a number one or two scoring option, I don't think he's going to perform at the level you need because he's not an ISO guy. He He's not, he just, he won't break you down. He needs to attack either as an off ball spacer or on ball, which is what you want from an, a one or two option is a pick and roll player. And when as a pick and roll player, the top thing he brings to the table is that three point shooting and it's not there. He's, he's bad offensively. And that's what we saw. And that's where with any player, any guy with this background, 43, 37, 39%, these the pull up three-point shooting, seasons worth of information. And then on 30 shots, doesn't shoot well with the Lakers. In the playoffs, it was even it was like one for seven or something, like one for 14. It, that can happen to anybody. Just like AD had that crazy bubble shooting. We see guys every single year that have crazy poor shooting on the small samples, because that's just how basketball works. But that's where if he is a number one or two option, you're screwed. If he is your third or fourth scoring option in the lineup, yeah, he can be your spacer. He's still got the gravity on ball where the defense has to respect him, and that opens up other things. And I, I think if D'Lo were to hit his pull-up threes a little bit better, like I've got no problems with his offense for his role on this team. I just he's never gonna be that that he's never gonna live up offensively to the draft capital spent on him as like a number one or number two scoring option. It's just not. He's got too many holes in this game. And that's where I think he's a unique fit. As long as LeBron and AD are able to do their thing, I, I think you're okay. Um, yeah. And to your point, 82 games, he's solid. He's going he's gonna to do real well against teams' normal game plans. It's when things got very hyper-specific and the Lakers coaching staff had to suddenly beat icing coverages and weaking and nexting ball screens and the pre-rotations of the back line on the defense, all of these new questions they haven't faced before, that's when we saw them have more hiccups. And that's where it impacted a guy who's primarily operating through those, those situations like Adilo. And so that's, I guess, what I'm looking at with him. And who else, if you don't want him, who else are you going to go get from a free agent standpoint? Chris Paul is the only guy. Everyone else that you look at, like I think D'Lo and, and Schroeder are two of the top what two of the top five available all handlers uh, on, yeah. on the market. There's yeah, not it's not like, but I don't know if he's obtainable. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where we can find none of these guys are perfect. We lost. You didn't. Every team but one team this season is going to have this podcast where they talk about what guys couldn't do because they yeah. didn't win at all. Right. Even when the Lakers did win it all, there you have guys on that team that couldn't do everything. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to overreact. And you know who who else? <laughs> Look, I pulled the, I pulled the list of oh, I don't want these guys. These guys are worse than D'Lo. Um. So that's the, I guess the tricky part here, where it may be not the most fun thing to return some of these guys that just went through a playoff run where you didn't get the result you were looking for, but it may be the best option. Potentially. It's tricky for me because I, I, again, I'm torn on this because I feel like the 25 to $30 million player that D'Angelo Russell is going to be in the role you described on a playoff team is not generally the archetype that you described for what he would provide for the team. Now, if you're telling me there is some capacity with which your $25 million player just has a bad shooting series that they could get played off the court and their value can become that volatile 
um, to where it's because, you know, they don't give you anything on defense, right? So Mm -hmm. it's the kind of player again in 16 games. It's if he gets squeezed this year, maybe it's, I don't know. I'm willing to, to try to chalk it up and be charitable to him missing shots, to having a bad stretch, to being able to improve and get better in a system once he's there longer, because that's going to happen naturally. But that one piece won't go away. His his maybe floor raises, but he can still ultimately be at a place where he's 20 minutes a game at max. And can you, under the new CBA, just in general, put together a guard depth, you know, package of, of guys who can step up in the in the moments you need it to, like like Rui did this year, or Austin Reeves? And is it fair to expect that from those guys or to have that team composition that says, oh, yeah, I know our twenty five million dollar guy is going to be great for the season. And but once we get to the playoffs, if he's not making his shots. We're dead in the water. Like, I also think I, Vanderbilt stuff didn't help him there. He wasn't set up perfectly, mm-hmm. but yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I think if you're paying anyone 25 mil and then they're not shooting well and they're primarily an offensive guy, then you're going to struggle. You, you can't – you don't want to be overpaying in general. Yeah, Jordan Poole – Clay Thompson wasn't hitting his shots in that series against the Lakers. Like, have an off-shooting series and, and things are problematic. And, like – with Delo's attack being that pick and roll game against drop, he should be able to beat it real well. If you hedge against him, he's a good enough passer to get the ball out, and you've got a great roll man. But against switching, he's not that you know. I'm going to go beat the big man on the switch. His job is to go feed AD in the post and or hit this hit the pocket pass it with with AD ceiling for a dunk or a layup. And and I think that's okay as a number one or two option. If the answer is just, okay, the defense can hedge and then offensively he's not giving you much, that's problematic. Like we saw in that Lakers-Portland series in the bubble, if you can hedge well against Dame and they don't have answers, you're in trouble if you're if you're Portland. But if Delo's the third or fourth option scoring-wise and taking him away in ball screens means you open up AD or as a postman or as a role man, I'm okay with that. So... I don't know. I think he will be well worth the money over 82 games. Well, I don't know if well worth the money. I don't want to say well worth the money. I think he, I think the Lakers are in an interesting situation where he's likely one of the best options available to them. It's a safe value proposition. Yeah, you know what you're going to get. It has value in the regular season. It has value in the playoffs. There are some of those ceilings potentially on the value he has because he's more of a one-way guy than a two-way player. But he's not a specialist. He's a he's a little bit more than a specialist, and that's going to allow him to stay on the court, I believe. Yes, but will he be in the op- Will he have the opportunity to be more than a specialist on a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis? If he doesn't have that opportunity, you have a less ability to maximize his ability to be as good as he can be. I'm not saying he's like too good to be a number three per se. I'm just saying there's a a ratio and a mix of actions and play and that'll get better it will mm-hmm. but if you have a two three game bad stretch just any anybody can happen too yeah and you, you yeah. and your value can fall that hard it's it's very ah you said 20, about anybody though yeah i know just about anybody. i don't know but like there are 25 million dollar players that i don't know you're right there's not a lot there of guys who, players you're right you're right you're there, right there are guys who are well, hey, their shot isn't there, but they're great on the boards and they're great defensively and they're a great passer. Maybe I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm describing Nikola Jokic. Um, <laughs> like there aren't too many guys where when they aren't like who on this team, who on this season's team, if they can't hit their threes, is worth keeping on the court over someone on the bench who would be hitting their threes in theory. LeBron, AD. I, well, I mean, Austin. Reeves. That's it. I, I mean, Jared Vanderbilt didn't make a fucking three for six <laughs> months. And and we saw his minutes go down. And, down <laughs> and he still shouldn't have played as much as he did. Oh, man. But I, I just, I, I don't think it's, I'm you're not, right. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think it's uncommon or a unique D-Lo problem. It just but might not be when the you, most optimal third part. You know, not that any of anybody else to spend $25 million on or can. That's the issue. That's the conundrum. 
Yeah, you want to get him. I want to keep him for as little money as I as I need to. I don't think anyone's going to give him a twenty five mil deal. I just I think that's too much money for him in the value he presents. If the options are retain him at twenty per year or let him walk, and we can't replace the on ball three point shooting passing combo, that's a tough. That's the tough decision. Now, if you could just say, all right, we'll go get Chris Paul for cheaper, potentially, then great. <laughs> like, no, awesome. not great. <laughs> and Chris Paul has his own problems. And if you oh. compare Chris Paul and D'Angelo Russell, I'd rather have D'Lo defensively. Yeah, I mean, They're- I a lot more than just defensively. I I think Chris Paul's mostly washed, and I, I don't know. I feel like it's the kind of guy the Lakers have been chasing the last few years a too old too unathletic at this point in the nba uh hire him as a fucking assistant coach if you want him to join the team <laughs> that's my feelings he he's a nba player he he's an nba caliber player he is worse than he used to be his three-point bullet shooting is much worse than it used to be he was like a plus a guy and it's gone to like b and now c the past couple seasons and that's a big part of his value because he does not get to the rim and he does not finish at the rim. So offensively, he is a really good passer and the pull-up shooter, mid-range and, and from three. Defensively, he's food in the playoffs. And he's small, and that's problematic. In the regular season, they did a real good job hiding him this year and his defensive impact was higher than it really should have been. But... In the in the playoffs, he he presents a similar value proposition to D'Lo, where it's the mid range of three point pull up shooting and some passing. Only Chris calls a, Chris Paul's a better passer. D'Lo's better at the rim. Neither of them get to the rim all that well. My dog is snoring. I hope you can't hear. <laughs> I mean, at least Chris Paul, you know, is um, a, a coach on the floor. He's going to help you get mm-hmm. the team to where they want to be. It's going to be the Rajon Rondo kind of thing with a lot, you know, different frustrations for a fan. But uh-huh. ultimately, for me, unless it's like a minimum contract, and you still try to bring in a guard with some kind of athleticism, I think you get trapped into playing a guy like Chris Paul because of he's he's Chris Paul. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's he's gonna play, and <laughs> win or lose, he's gonna play. That's and uh, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, let me let's let's add a timeline standpoint to this as well. LeBron James has a player option, not this upcoming season, but the next one. He very well may not be a Laker. If he is a Laker, he'll be forty years old. He'll be a free agent the next season. If you, from a Lakers standpoint, are looking short and long-term here, would you rather, if you could get Chris Paul for like pretty cheap and he's a similar player as D'Lo, I think I'd rather, you can make the argument that you'd rather have Chris Paul on a short deal and then he can recoup value and try to get another deal from you or someone else afterwards Compared to signing D'Lo at around 20, 25 mil a year for three, four years, the counterpoint would be, I don't think you're going to compete after, like, I don't think you're going to be a title contender after LeBron leaves probably for the next couple of years. So it may not ultimately matter, but do you try to align the contracts and then start from scratch? That would be part of the Chris Paul case. And it's not something that I've thoroughly thought through and have a stance on, but I think there's there are points to be made on either side. Oh, that's I like how you laid that out um, because that's a, a people think it's it's Chris Paul or D'Angelo Russell, and it is, but not in the, the way you think it is, right? It, it's it's in enabling you to do other things, like you're picking mm-hmm. other things and Chris Paul instead of deal. You know what I mean? So yeah. And part of if you so if you pay D'Lo twenty mil a year, I don't think he's worth that. Or twenty five right. mil a year, I don't think he's worth that. But if you're already operating over the cap, eh, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. as much. Now you, the second apron is a whole new element that yeah. kind of changes these discussions a bit. Yeah. And 
once the CBA is actually agreed to and ratified and we can get get the info, I want to dig into it and, you know, try to fully, from an educated standpoint, share how that would impact things. But we do know already that reaching that second point is something probably no team wants to do because that limits your flexibility in a whole bunch of different ways operating yeah. in season, after the season, with trades, with the draft, with signing free agents in season. So that's where the prior to this upcoming CBA, I would just tell you, hey, yeah, like I know D'Lo will be overpaid, but who cares? Like you're going to be over the cap anyway. It's not like you get any additional money by not paying him as much. Right. Now, with that second apron, that's an element kind of, you know, counter to this, especially if you want to retain Reeves and Rui and some of these other guys. In addition to that, if LeBron does come off the books and now we're looking at the Lakers cap sheet in two, three seasons from now, and it's, you know, maybe AD's in there for a bunch of money and then D'Lo is paid a bunch and that D'Lo salary value is what's keeping you from being able to sign other guys and having spending power now all of a sudden because you're below the cap. That is where it could impact you. So you, it's not just as you're saying, it's not just picking one guy versus the other guy for the on court, but the right. the contract structure and what that means this year and then moving forward, I think is really important. And and you're choosing, as you said, it's more than just you know player versus player. It's player and what comes with that versus the other player and what what comes with him. And I think there's a great argument to be made that it's mo- it's more important now than ever to retain. All three of D'Lo, Reeves, and Rui because of what it can provide for LeBron and the ability to not be on the ball, to affect the game in a in, with his brain off the ball, making cuts as a, as a connecting piece because e- even giving him the opportunity to stand in a corner and still get a good look with, um, with the Austin pick and roll with AD or having Rui uh, you know, take uh, some ISO possessions on the second unit and still generate decent looks. Um, I I think all that is more important than ever to sustain LeBron through. And I think hopefully they've learned their lesson and only signing some of these older guys, um, like especially the 20, you know, the 21, 22 season. It's really important to have some youthful athleticism and, and not just youth, but but skill too. These guys are are developing and and getting even better. So in continuing to give them an opportunity to grow, like they've been given when LeBron had to because of his his foot, I think, not mm-hmm. take uh, as much on ball duties. So I I want to see them lean more into that to hopefully save LeBron. And all that is saying, I think Chris Paul is not really the the option for that personally Mm -hmm. i think that's a fair point and in general like i want basketball players i don't want specialists Mm -hmm. i want guys that can and if they're shooters i want them to be able to put the ball on the floor as well and and get to a shot or create their own shot as we saw really be able to do as we saw reeves be able to do like late clock make something happen raising the floor matters being able to get, you know, 0.9 points per possession instead of like 0.6 because you're kicking it out to Kent Bazemore and asking him to do something with, with three on the clock. Like that makes a difference. That stuff matters. And with a guy like Rui, like he's 25. He can still grow. He can still get better. We are watching him come off the hottest, the hottest he will ever shoot, the hottest he has ever shot. Who he was as a three-point shooter in the playoffs is not who he is and will not be who he is on any larger stretches. Now, hey, maybe he can do it again for another playoff run, but I have no reason to believe he'll, he has any, you know, I, there, if you were trying to guess who will shoot hot in the playoffs next year, I don't know that it's him more than it's Reeves or anybody else on this team. He just happened to shoot real well and it was good and it worked out well, but I... And for as as much as he did have some growth and and is a good player I like to keep around, I'm interested to see what the the dollar amount ends up looking like because if you're paying him like he's like a 45% three-point shooter or something, like you're overpaying him. So, want to keep him like that big body. He got better with some of his rotational stuff on defense, his box out tendencies, his rebounding, secondary rim protection, 
And that's all That's all good. We want to keep that around. But we, we should also be realistic about who he is. And I'm hoping from a shrewd negotiation standpoint, that's something that the front office is engaging in discussion around. Hey, we value you. We want to keep you. We need you to kind of prove this out a little bit more. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. But, you know, this is what we think you'd be worth to retain on the team. Yeah, we're going to have plenty of time to get to that throughout the offseason as we're just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, breaking down this season, looking forward to next, uh, Tim. But let's take a quick break here. We're going to look forward a little bit more, talk a little bit more about the season. Uh, we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, coming back in, Tim. Trying to talk a couple other things that felt like the special sauce for this for this run, right? Um, let's let's talk about Austin Reeves because um, I've seen a lot of. I think this is slightly tied to D'Lo um, because I think they do work as a backcourt, and they. I think that was proven. I think a little bit in these playoffs. Um, a lot of the things we liked about the starting lineup and and how they can work interchangeably as spot up and on ball guys. I think put them both in opportunities to succeed uh, offensively. And I, I think they could be even more creative with that going forward, but I like, I like the framework too with D'Lo um, and, and Austin being able to kind of cover for him on defense, depending on the matchup. Now I've seen some people talk about um, shifting the point guard duties onto Austin. Let's keep Austin, make him the point guard. I wouldn't go that far, Tim. I wonder how you feel. Um, I love Austin. I don't think he's a primary creator like that. I don't think his handle's quite there. Maybe it gets better. I love you. I love Austin. You, we we talk only of him. What do you think about that idea? I'm aligned with you. I I really like him. I think he's getting better. I think he's a very valuable piece. And I I hope he is able to come into next season with an even sharper handle and even a notch above when it comes to the passing reads, which he's also, you know, already fairly good at. And this regular season was only behind Luka Doncic in terms of attacking drop coverage with the defense chasing over screens from an effectiveness standpoint, which is bananas, dude. Like, that's amazing. That is amazing. Uh, (laughs) but he's still got plenty of room for growth. And if uh, here's how I look at it, he has enough passing ball handling, pick and roll game for me to say in a given game, if we need him to play point guard, he can do it. He can be your emergency guy to go do that or a backup guy to go do that. Yeah. I don't he mean adds like more value. Yeah. Right, 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 right. He adds more value to me from a team building standpoint. If he can like, uh, compared to point guards, his playmaking is okay, and his pick and roll game overall is, is is okay. Compared to like shooting guards, those are differentiating skills now, 
And that's where he's able to provide excess value and go above and beyond. And that's where like, and it kind of depends on who that, that backcourt partner would be potentially. And if he does need to cover them, cover for them defensively, what that looks like, but him being able to play on and off ball, him being able to operate in ball screens, operate as an ISO guy at times and be effective with these things. Like it's great to see. We saw the seeds planted last year. That's why preseason I had that video breakdown of like, this guy's ready to do more ball screens, give him more ball screens. And we saw it happen. And I'm pleased that we saw it happen. But if you're asking me, like, do you punt point guard and just say, Austin, you're the guy? I'd say probably not. I'd rather not. I'd rather keep D'Lo or go get Chris Paul. If you can't get either of them and it's all right, do we get like a lower tier point guard or do we shift Austin over and we have, you know, and there's this great shooting guard candidate we can go throw money at that's the scenario I think in which I may lean the other direction, but it, it really kind of depends on the context. I think he's good enough that he can do either, especially on a LeBron team potentially where as long as LeBron's an on ball playmaker that allows you to lower the bar. We saw this with KCP with Avery Bradley in the, in the title team, you can have those more nominal point guards. And I think Reeves is more than that for sure. So we've seen it work before, but we also have LeBron's older, several years older from that. And, to your earlier point, you want to be able to find guys that you can run out there that can have synergy with an off-ball LeBron at times or a LeBron that's not operating as a, a lead guard but more as a lead wing or a lead big um, as he's aging. So it's kind of context-dependent, but Austin's good and definitely want to retain him. I think that's priority number one. And, you know, build the best backcourt I think is is my – my pitch. If that means Austin's a point guard and you've got a shooting guard you're bringing in that has great playmaking, great ball handling, can run ball screens, yeah, then I'm fine with that. Because I, I think Reese is a good point of attack defender. That James Harden's music? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but like that, that, it, that's where, you know, I don't want to take a hardline stance of like, I can never, like, he cannot play point guard. No, because maybe, depending on what that looks like. Now, realistically, who are you going to go get where that's the option? I, I don't know. I need to go <laughs> take a look at who's available again. And I'm not sure if that guy is available for the Lakers at how much money they'd have to spend. Yeah. But that's, I guess the discussion. And then defensively, what's nice with Reeves is, and and we just, uh, I finally, now that I'm not doing content creation every single day, I've had more time to build up metrics. We built, we've now difficulty adjusted our B-ball index uh, perimeter defensive metrics. I think we still need to push them to the app. So I'll, I'll make sure that happens today, but Austin Reeves, his on-ball defense, difficulty adjusted, because we know he had been very successful, but on lower difficulty, 37th, still very, very good. So like, what, 94th percentile or so? Pretty solid. Second best on the Lakers. Uh, his ball screen navigation, 62nd, pretty pretty good. Second best on the Lakers. And then his off-ball chaser defense ranked 30th, which is best on the Lakers. So he can be your point of attack guy. He can also be your off-ball chaser defender. He's good at either of those. So if he's a point guard, shooting guard defensively, I'm good with either. And that just the flexibility he enables. That's why you can describe him as a glue guy. It's just kind of like you can plug him in wherever. Offense, defense, he can do the job. I think there are ways to optimize him. But the flexibility, the versatility he enables from a team construction, line of construction standpoint, I think is part of his value. And a big part of why I want to keep him around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't think he's going to get an egregious contract because uh, the chances are the team won't be able to steal him away. So, uh, but you never know. You saw DeAndre Aiden get it. <laughs> Sometimes teams just do things we don't expect. Um, but that said, Tim, uh, there's other people who are super uh, impactful on this season. I want to move next to Anthony Davis and his ability uh, to defend at the five in Darvin Ham's scheme and what you think that looks like um, going forward, maybe with the, the, the other pivot points on this roster. Uh, how do we get the same AD, you know, keep him healthy throughout the season? I know that's tough, but from uh, a roster building thing, how, how do you approach this standpoint, try to get the most from AD next year? He individually is fantastic. And we've seen he can successfully, he switched on to Steph Curry and held him in check. We He is going to play deep drop or high drop just about as well as anyone you're going to find in a playoff environment. And we saw that him do that very successfully. From a hedging standpoint, he can do that just great. 
that was an area at a team level the team was poor with because the team around AD did not have the collective size and rotational ability to successfully defend the rim when AD's pulled away from the rim, whether he's switching or whether he is hedging. And that's where, as we're looking at like moving forward, how do we construct this team? How do we coach this team to give ourselves a better chance at the title? I want to see the team be able to do more than drop and switch. And I've been saying this since like preseason. Um, they were able to do pretty good, like get pretty far until they finally got to a team in Denver that looking at the data, looking at the film, hedging has been really successful against Denver compared to some of the other coverages. LA just stinks at it. And thus it wasn't really part of my like pregame scout of like, hey, here's what we should be doing because they're bad at it. And we've seen it be bad at it. If they can, you know, just have every option available to them defensively, I think that ups the ceiling for this team defensively. And 80s, he could absolutely do that. So on D, I'm good with that. If you can go get a center that can space the floor, whether it's we keep Mobamba or we go get Kelly Olenek or we go get maybe Miles Turner, we go get Nas Reed, someone like that. I'm still very into the AD playing the four on defense and the five on offense. I still think that's the best way to use him because he's an incredible, like as good as he is, you know, hedging, He's an incredible backline defender. Like he's much more, you know, differentiating in terms of being able to erase a 2v1 uh, than he is just, you know, standing 20 feet from the rim in front of a guy who's going to pass the ball out. Um, So I I don't know. I want to add skill to the roster, add size to the roster. I liked the approach with the bubble team of like, we can be big, we can be small. This team didn't quite have that. They could, you know, they had, for them, it was bigger and smaller, but you didn't have the AD plus JaVale or AD plus Dwight option. And there will be times yep. where that makes the most sense. Yeah, so me. I'd say that's what I'm looking to add. And then if that guy can shoot, great, because that's truly, I think, the unlocking that you're looking for, the Marcus Saul, but maybe better perimeter defender would be ideal. Tim, I don't know if you realize what you just described is like, is going to happen. What's that? So, so let, let me back up. This team, they built it with uh, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, right? Marcus Saul the next year, Montrez Harrell. They clearly mm-hmm. went in wanting uh, for years several bigs around Anthony Davis, not just to play next to him, but to not have him play five at all. This year, last couple of years, playing more five, you know, that's a pivot away from what they went. But Tim, the way you just described it, you you, you don't realize that you just described Tristan Thompson. Like, okay. he doesn't face the floor <laughs> no but that's but that's what the Lakers are gonna do like that's the mm. Laker version of what you what mm. you just said mm. I just, did you see him on ESPN dog <laughs> fucking getting clowned on for guarding Jokic for like 10 seconds uh, I did not I don't I don't watch I don't watch those shows <laughs> it just it was, it got clipped because Richard okay. Jefferson was making fun of him Mm. So he's describing how to guard Jokic. Is that where he said if you did it well, you wouldn't be here? Yeah, or something exactly. like that. Okay, yeah, yeah I didn't see that. Yeah. So no, but yeah. I, and and that to me also is to the other part of your question, how do you preserve him? Is if he is that four defensively, he can often just kind of stand around and be a ball hawk. He doesn't yeah. need to be in every single ball screen, hedging, recovering, in drop, having to fight for every rebound. With the like, life or death of your defense. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's a great individual rebounder. He does not frequently box out. If you can have a center that plays center that's going to box out the other team center and then AD's the dude jumping in to just go win the board, I like that more than, you know, <laughs> Troy Brown running in to try to win the board yeah. and then AD's trying to, like, hold Jokic back or whoever it is. So I I would – if I could point at something that I say, like, this would be a way to use him better – for more success, better preservation, and then offense and defense, that would be what I'm looking at. So if you can, you know, go talk to Indiana. Go talk to Minnesota. Can you get one of these guys? Go talk to Utah, who isn't really trying to win. It has a guy that doesn't fit their timeline to compete. Can you get one of them? They don't have to be the best rebounder, the best rim protector, because you are playing AD alongside with them. And that means that, you know, 
a Linux plus AD's rim protection is going to be better than AD plus LeBron's rim protection, probably. Because then you can also play LeBron in the other lineup as well. But it's it's we're building we're building lineups, and I don't want to get too and we haven't, but those listening are probably gonna say, oh, well, this guy isn't the best rebounder, or this guy's not the best shot blocker. Like it's about how the lineup performs. And being able to have AD in there not as your five means that, all right, don't compare Olenek to AD. Compare Olenek to who would be playing alongside AD at the four mm-hmm. if AD is the five, right? Mm-hmm. So something to think about. I'm interested to hear people's thoughts uh, as we as we dig into the offseason. I don't, I don't do draft coverage. I wonder if there's a guy like that that's available to draft. No idea. Yeah. Not a single clue. Yeah. Um, but that's that's something I'd be looking for. I mean, even if there was, the chances that they would be able to contribute right away are usually small, but it's not mm-hmm. nothing, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And I I do kind of think, I think it would be cool to go back to a a more physical identity team that's really bruising, um, you know, at least on the front line to have consistent rotation. Because, you know, for, I don't know, as good as Mark was, there's not the most physical guy at, at that mm-hmm. stage of his career. And, oh, yeah. uh, and Trez, you know, activity guy, but he's not the bruising. And then, and then Dwight again, wasn't what he was in 20, you know, when he came back, I'm not asking for JaVale to come back, but like, I just imagine like this never happened, but guy like Steven Adams, right. That's a fucking nasty team. Mm-hmm. Like he's a very special player. There's not a lot of guys like him anymore. But just physical, imposing to have a D be the you know the the lighter, look, smaller looking guy next to a guy like that is just it's a different brand of basketball than other teams play right now. And I think that just being a zag in a zig world. Yep. Yeah, having a meteor guy that's able to you know bump around around the rim. Uh, and and when we think about not just preservation from a health standpoint, but from that energy bar standpoint, mm-hmm. allowing AD to, you know, we could be that physical team, but he doesn't need to be the guy on every single play. We need to be fighting inside. That allows him to focus more on offense and be more impactful on that end. And, and that's something that I think we saw him struggle with in the playoffs where he was such a good defender. But then on offense, there were times where he was less involved or less effective or was short on his shots. Where it's just he was under such a strain on both ends. And, you know, that doesn't excuse him from criticism. But he, if we can set him up defensively where he could still be at very impactful, just not need to be sprinting around all the time, defending on the perimeter and doing all these different things, defending at the rim, like then he just he, we're enabling him better to perform up to his standard and the standard we have for him as an offensive player. So something to think about. With the Gasol thing, like he had holes in his game. He's not a perfect player, but I think the very flawed Marcus Gasol style of guy in that starting lineup, it was a top five starting lineup in the regular season for a reason. And it, to me, showcases how the bar for talent is lower if the right like symbiotic skills are there to allow AD to play the four on defense and play the five on offense with, with the spacing on O and then, you know, be a you know be a big person on defense like it it we don't have to go find the top guy to pay 20 million dollars to do this it can be a lower paid guy that just fits the right skills for sure and then if you need to go away from it for a series or a game you can yeah because you're not paying him a bunch of money that's how you that's how you build in that versatility that's part of the javel dwight thing was yeah them and keith based on the series based on the game based on the tactics we can lean different ways and it's not a problem that we bench them because right. it paid them in. And we're right. still putting our money players on the court, not just to put the guys who paid more on the court, but you're allocating your re- – it's not like – how do I want to phrase this? It's okay to be played off the court. It's okay to not be a good fit if you're one of those min guys. If the team has the right pivot and they could put the right guys out there, I'm okay if this one min guy can't play and the other min guy can play and we're going to play that way instead – it's a problem when your $20 million guy, your $15 million guy, your $30 million guy, they can't play. That's when it's like, oh, crap. Now the talent level that we have on the court is just substantially lower than it otherwise would be. Yeah, I don't know what that guy would be, but I mean, we know big physical guys like that are usually pretty available. Um, and yeah, they're limited, but it I think it would be good to have in the back pocket. Um Tim here, kind of finishing up, hitting on a couple more people. 
Uh, generally, I don't know. What do you want to see development wise from some of these guys like Rui, Austin? Um, I think I don't know about Lonnie Walker's coming back, but you know, how do these guys, um, Max Christie, I guess, what are you kind of Vanderbilt? You know, what are you looking for these mm-hmm. guys to kind of focus on maybe this summer? I want Vanderbilt to stand in a corner and shoot a million threes. Uh, it, just, just keep shooting. Just keep going. Uh, he needs to be like a passable corner three-point shooter with some degree of gravity. Now, he did this season have like a decent percentage, I think, from like the right corner three or something. But he had no gravity at all. And if we look at like how he performed in the playoffs, he was terrible. Regular season and playoffs at the dunker spot, such a bad finisher. It was just really, really poor with putbacks, with dump offs, all of that. And then from the corner, had no gravity. He shot 25% on 28 of the most open threes you're ever going to find. And he had like one game or he had like a couple games where he shot five for 13 combined against Memphis games four and six. The rest of his 13 playoff games, he shot two for 16. He needs to he needs to be better at that because if he can, his defense is valuable and hopefully the team figures out what he's good at, not good at on defense. and uses him a bit smarter because I think that was a problem, too, with coaching was they weren't deploying him defensively in the ways that made the most sense. And that was frustrating to me. But from a development standpoint, to answer your question. Pick a corner uh, and, and make it your friend. I'll, I'll reword something that Vix had said in the Discord. He said something different. Um, uh, that so with Reeves, tighten up the handle a little bit, and I think just continue developing the the advanced passing reads. I want to continue raising the ceiling for him there on ball and then off ball. If he can get more comfortable with his footwork and his balance with off-screen opportunities, he was he's a good stationary shooter, decent movement shooter, not a good off-screen shooter. If that's an element that he can bring to the table rather than you needing to bring a Malik Beasley or Buddy Heald or somebody like that onto the court, that's immediately very valuable because Reeves defensively is really solid and then offensively can do a bunch of other things. So he was really poor in those off-screen looks. If you can tighten up his handle for the on-ball and then work on the footwork, work on the threes, work on the, you know, reading. Do I fade off? Do I curl? Do I just come off straight with, with pin downs and flyer screens? That to me would be a really nice element for him. With him also defensively, and this could be said about him. This could be said about Christie. This could be said about Rui, Lonnie, all those guys, uh, pretty much everybody but AD and Vanderbilt. Defensive playmaking. We, we need to do better. There are different ways to succeed on defense. This Lakers team with a lot of their guard play and their wing play wasn't as disruptive as I think you could be. And that's a way to turn defense into offense. Yeah. Jumping passing lanes, working on anticipation and getting those reps in. And then also, you know, Austin, really solid on-ball defender. Christy, really solid on-ball defender. Neither of them were picking pockets much. And that's an element that would be a really, you know, that could be very disruptive and help the offense. Uh, so transitioning to Christie, I think being more disruptive, you're long, dude. Put on some weight. That's the first thing. Yeah. But be able to be next year. I want you to be able to be a reliable off-ball stationary shooter on offense that can cut, that can finish at the rim, that can attack a closeout. We know he's got some potential with his mid-range shooting. And then on defense, be able to, again, bulk up so you can play more your position. But if you can be an adequate, and he was already a pretty good on-ball defender, but working on his screen navigation and then working on just some of those defensive playmaking things, be a, be a little bit more you know havoc-causing, I think would be really important for him. LeBron like and it. AD, recoup, recover. Yeah. Yes. Stay young. Go, uh, go find a blood boy. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Uh, I, would, I was just watching um, Silicon Valley. It's a really funny show. Yes. Yeah, that's why, I love that's that why show. I was thinking of that. Yes. Um, no, but yeah, no, stay, stay young. Uh, beat father time. Advance, okay. invest okay. in the advanced science. It down. It's time know. to go. It's time to go. <laughs> uh, Tim, we need to let the people know where to find us um, here on Apple, as always, uh, Spotify, everything. Give us a five-star review. You can 
get into the discord with a five-star review uh screenshot it send it to one of us come in uh this is the perfect time for discord season because uh what else are we doing we got nothing else we're making our own content and entertainment here in the discord that's right tom we've got uh one of my favorite things that we do uh project ghostbusters right around the corner we're about to kick it off and if you're not familiar this is the uh named from the uh like who are you gonna call uh i guess that's the reference there we look at all 30 teams tom's laughing on mute we look at all 30 teams and we say all right here are we're gonna pretend we're the timberwolves today here are their free agents how are we handling our free agents from a player standpoint who's opting in who's opting out to forecast what sort of spending power will this team eventually have and which of their players are they will they be retaining versus available on the open market versus they want to retain and here's how much they'd be able to spend. Do that for all 30 teams and then you end up understanding which teams are buying, which skill sets, which positions, which players are available and who has how much money to spend. And then we're able to play the matchmaking game. And we've been pretty accurate with it. You're not going to get it 100%, but we've been able to identify Lakers targets in previous years. Lakers MLE targets we've nailed, Lakers min targets we've nailed, as well as other players going to other teams we've been able to spot by going through that thought process. Another benefit of this, and it's a little bit of work, but it's a bunch of fun and and you don't have to, you know, I'm not asking for someone to sign up and do this for all 30 teams, but if you join us and you're in the conversation for five or six, you're contributing to the product and it's a bunch of fun. And you'll probably learn a bit about the CBA. I'm constantly learning about the CBA and we'll have to do so with the new one moving forward. But we're also able to get a sense for who can't the Lakers pursue? Who's out of our price range? And I've saved myself so many hours of conversation and we've saved time podcasting, not talking about the guys who we won't be able to afford. And then the team didn't afford or couldn't afford. Worked out great. So that's an added benefit as well. Who's realistic? You can you can look at the available free agents and come up with a targets list that's completely unrealistic and... We're not looking to do that. We're trying to be accurate. And so join us over there. Get in the Discord as Tom shared. Want to shout out to friends of the pod, Court Prowess uh, for rocking with the arena sponsorship, as well as to TJ, Timotaji, Zach Harris, Q Daddio, iPod Shuffle, Miguel, T Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdul Rahman, Keneal Mason, Doppel, and Romario for living the high life with us in the owner's box, as well as to the courtside and lower bowl crews. I've been, uh, we're going to try to do something moving forward that I've been doing once a week, basically an internal space, like a like a Twitter space, but a stage is what they call it in Discord, trying to get these set up once a week to just go hang out. We did one a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, I think, three weeks ago. And we were on there for like three hours. And it wasn't just me talking. It wasn't go to listen. It was like, you could go to listen or we had people constantly coming up on, on the stage and talking and we had good discussion. And at one point in time, there were like three, four or five people up there. And we're able to like reach some cool routes, just having fun conversations with actual smart Lakers fans uh, was an absolute blast. You don't have to have Nuggets fans or whoever looking over your shoulder like it would be in a Twitter space. So that was a blast. Another fun thing that we're doing this off season. So join us for that. And yeah, Tom, I think that's all we got. And then, you know, check out playback playback.tv slash Lakers watch party. We're going to yes. get some more content rolling when it comes yes. to, Free agents, drafts, maybe we could watch the draft on there. Uh, we could do free agent breakdowns on there. All sorts of different things. Keep an eye out. We'll be doing some you know, live podcasting and then live streams in various ways. So check that out. Give it a look. Bookmark it. It's always the same link. It's free. All you have to do is verify a TV sub. And actually... I mean, if we're doing like free agent breakdowns, you don't need any TV sub. Like it's just us nope. sharing our screen now. So yep. anybody, anybody can come join. And that's part of what's nice about how they've been expanding their operation with the screen sharing, with the annotation that I'm able to do, drawing up plays and stuff like that. Like it's a blast. We could be like, all right, today we're going to look at this guy. Tim's going to go pull up Synergy Film. Then we're going to look at his B-Ball Index profile. And then we're going to draw up some plays that would make sense for him. And then we're going to pull up a cap sheet and see how he'd fit into the puzzle. And like, you don't have to pay for anything to see this. So go check that out. Again, playback.tv slash Lakers watch party. Yeah, we're going to figure out some more fun stuff to do. Uh, so stay tuned there. But that's it for now. Till next time, we'll talk to you all later.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.